Susan Eads, Jody Loomis, Jessica Bagan, Christy Mirak, Gwen Miller. What do all these women have in common? They are all murder victims whose cases went cold for decades until they were finally solved thanks to a new crime-solving technique that is changing the game, forensic genealogy. But who were these women? Why did their homicide cases remain open and unsolved for so long? Who were their killers? And what was the link between each victim and her murderer? DNA ID sets out to answer these questions. My podcast looks at the original crime, the investigative work on the case, red herrings, potential suspects, and the evidence left behind by the killer. And it then examines how each case was solved by forensic genealogy and the connection that led to the fateful interaction between victim and murderer. In many cases, I speak to the detectives who cracked the case, and they give me insight into their methods, theories, and what went on behind the scenes. Join me every other Monday for a new episode. Be sure to subscribe to DNA ID wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. The story today may be a bit confusing. And it was confusing long before three-year-old Rochelle disappeared from her home early one morning in May 2006. This story involves a missing girl. A man who would tell everyone who would listen he was her father, even though allegedly this wasn't even possible. This man would change his story on the little girl's whereabouts before being found dead at a wildlife refuge only days later. This is Rochelle's story. Leading local tonight, Minot police say a three-year-old girl missing since 2006 is now presumed murdered. Rochelle Smith went missing May 17, 2006 from her home in Minot. Her body still has not been found. Police say they believe a friend who was living with the family murdered Rochelle. Lee Cohen committed suicide five days following Rochelle's disappearance. Rochelle Marie Smith was born September 10, 2002. Not much is known about Rochelle's childhood or what she was like. Unfortunately, this case, there really isn't that much out there anymore. Most of her information and mainstream media stories are no longer available. The FBI, America's Most Wanted and Snoop's websites, her pages have been taken down. Even the Wayback Machine doesn't show much since 2006 when Rochelle went missing. Thankfully, we do have the wonderful people at the Charlie Project, web sleuths, and a wonderful woman who runs Rochelle's Missing Persons blog to keep Rochelle's story alive. And this will be the main sources of information for today's episode. Maybe the lack of information is why, for a while there, People believed that Rochelle's story was an urban legend and that Rochelle Marie Smith, she didn't really exist. Although why someone would make up a missing child case and pass it around the internet is beyond me, but apparently it does happen. But I completely digress here. Rochelle Marie Smith was born September 10, 2002. Her mother, Samantha Smith, lovingly called her Peanut from birth because she was very small. Not much is known about her biological father. Only at the time of Rochelle's disappearance, he was living in Colorado, and he didn't seem to be part of her life. 
Samantha was a teenager when Rochelle was born and she didn't feel equipped or ready to be a mother. So she gave custody to her older sister, Stephanie Smith. Rochelle would grow up believing Stephanie was her mother and Samantha was her sister. To make matters even more confusing for the toddler, she also believed a man named Lee Cohen was her father. Samantha and Stephanie convinced Cohen that he was as well. Now, I have read that Samantha was in a relationship with Cohen for a time and that Stephanie later was too. But I've also read in what limited research is out there that logically there is no way Cohen could be Rochelle's father because he never had a sexual interaction with Samantha, or Stephanie for that matter, that he only lived with Stephanie as a housemate. Either way, the sisters had convinced Cohen he was Rochelle's father, and he in turn told his mother that, and she was in a grandmother role for Rochelle. Now, it seems that shortly before Rochelle's disappearance, a paternity test was done, so at least in May 2006, Cohen knew he wasn't Rochelle's father. I am assuming this was, at least according to Samantha and Stephanie, the easiest way to break the news to Cohen. Samantha and Stephanie would have been confident of Rochelle's parentage the whole time, because Samantha was receiving child support from Rochelle's biological father, and he was listed on her birth certificate as being her father. I hope I have made this twisting and turning family tree straight for you all. I will put a flow chart of sorts in the Facebook group if that helps. It is also debatable if Rochelle was better off with her aunt, because It seems that Rochelle would be left with family and friends for days at a time, whilst Stephanie and Cohen were out partying and indulging in illicit drugs and alcohol. Cohen does not seem like the best father figure for the little girl either. Cohen had a history of drug addiction, methamphetamines in particular. He was unemployed, did not have a driver's license or motor vehicle, and he had been in regular trouble with law enforcement. In fact, at the time of Rochelle's disappearance in May 2006, Cohen had recently been charged with theft, and he was already out on probation. Because of this, he knew there was a warrant out for his arrest, and he could face up to 18 months in prison when he was eventually caught. Cohen even took some pictures of Rochelle so he could take these with him when he went to prison. What we do know about Rochelle. We know that she was a beautiful, angelic girl with an electric smile who loved having her picture taken. That she loved exploring the close-by woods and Oak Park, as well as the Mouse River that ran in front of the family's home in Minot, North Dakota, which is close to the Minnesota border. She's a fun-loving little girl. She loved having her picture taken. She has such a big heart. And she would wake me up and come, night-night, Mommy. And I'll say, night-night, Peanut. I love you. And we'll give you two Eskimo kisses and we'll go to bed. Tuesday, May 16th, 2006. The day was just like any other. That night, after a dinner of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a few cuddles on the couch, three-year-old Rochelle lied down on the couch and went to sleep. 
Stephanie last seeing the little girl at 10.30pm when she went to bed herself. The next morning, May 17th, Stephanie woke up, got all her stuff together for work and went downstairs. Rochelle was not asleep on the couch and she didn't appear to be anywhere in the home. Now obviously concerned and worried, Stephanie asked Cohen if he knew where Rochelle was. Maybe she was outside. Cohen had let Rochelle go outside on her own previously, so Stephanie was bracing herself for an argument. But this wasn't as expected. Instead, Cohen told Stephanie that Rochelle was staying with his mother at her home at the Minot Air Force Base for several days. Quote, My mum came and took her this morning. I told you about it the other day. Unquote. Now, Stephanie did not remember this conversation and she shook it off as being distracted with work and life. And even though this had never happened before, Rochelle had never went away with Cohen's mother overnight. Usually, Cohen's mother would come stay with them for visits. But it didn't seem to concern Stephanie further, and given it was Cohen's 22nd birthday, this seemed to be the focus of their day after this. The pair agreed Rochelle would return home on Friday, May 19th, 2006, two days later. When she asked Cohen to see or speak to her daughter, there was always an excuse. His mother's car had broken down, they went shopping, she was asleep. Again, there didn't seem any urgency to ensure the little girl was okay. Stephanie did have a car. I'm not sure why she didn't just drive there and get Rochelle herself especially since it was unusual for Rochelle to stay with her grandmother for an extended length of time. But on the morning of May 22nd, Stephanie discovered Cohen and her Teal 1995 Ford van were missing. She phoned Cohen's mother, who told her that Rochelle was never in her care, that Cohen had told her that Rochelle had gone to live with her biological mother, Samantha, in South Dakota. Samantha was actually living there at the time and she had family there. Cohen's mother also told Stephanie that she was actually no longer living at the Minot Air Force Base and instead she had moved to Wichita a week prior. Stephanie then called the police and reported both Rochelle and Cohen missing. Police initially believing that Cohen had taken Rochelle in the stolen van to Kansas where his mother now was. Following this theory, Kansas officials searched the home of Cohen's mother in Wichita. However, there was no evidence that Rochelle had ever been there, let alone hidden away there. May 23, 2006. A manhunt would come to a screeching halt when a bizarre twist of events was discovered. Cohen's body was found in a stolen van at the Upper Suris National Wildlife Refuge, which is northwest of Minot. There was a tube running from the exhaust into one of the windows. A search of the area failed to find any sign of Rochelle. An autopsy would later reveal that Cohen suicided by carbon monoxide poisoning. Sergeant Jason Sundbacker said in a press conference, quote, 
he left us with a lot of questions. He didn't leave any indication of what had happened, why it happened, why it was he felt the need to kill himself, and just leave us with unanswered questions that we are still dealing with today, unquote. A lack of a suicide note did stick out to Cohen's family. According to Cohen's sister, Cohen had attempted suicide before, and he always left a note. This has led to conspiracy theories in online true crime and unsolved mystery forums, that either Cohen was murdered, or he did leave behind a suicide note and Stephanie disposed of it. The latter does lead to an interesting proposition. If he did leave one and she found it, what did it say? Maybe something she did not want law enforcement to read? I don't know. Police weren't even sure at this point who actually saw Rochelle alive last, which meant they weren't for sure when she disappeared. She could have been missing longer than they thought. Minot police did speak to the family's neighbours to see if anyone could actually pinpoint when she was last seen. The stolen van was checked for any evidence that she had been in it or any sign of a struggle. They did find her fingerprints and hair, but being they lived in the same house, she had probably been in the van before anyway. It seems the police did search the wildlife refuge extensively, but I think there would be a difference between where a person would go to commit suicide and a place where he'd hide a body that he did not want to be found. May 24, 2006. An Amber Alert was finally released with the girl's details, as well as Cohen's, as he was the last person police believed she had been with. This would be the first Amber Alert in Minot County history. 200 horses and riders were organised by neighbouring Ward County to cover more ground. The National Guard also got involved. Storm sewers were also checked just trying to think outside the box to make sure all bases were covered. Most of the ground in the city was searched, more than once. The theory was that Cohen had killed Rochelle out of anger, once he found out he was not her biological father, a theory police still believe to be the case today. Said police captain Al Hansen about the initial searches, quote, We're not expecting to find a little girl standing in the weeds waving at us. These are the reality checks the family has to be prepared for, The National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children mailed out around 31,000 flyers with Rochelle's photo and description to every mailing address in 17 zip codes within a 25-mile radius of Minot. Extensive searches were also conducted in areas where it might be convenient to dispose of a body, between Rochelle's home and where Cohen was found deceased. In a two-day period, law enforcement would visit every sex offender in the Minot area unannounced. Unfortunately, every line of inquiry led to a dead end. May 27, 2006. 
The official search was wound down after bloodhounds failed to turn up any trace of the three-year-old. Police Captain Al Hansen said the searches would resume if any new leads came in, but, quote, We've had virtually no leads come in. The search has pretty much been shut down, unquote. At this point, authorities had also finished draining a section of Mouse River as far as they could get it. However, unfortunately, the dogs did not pick up on her scent. The search was also hampered because the water is very murky there, and once you go below the depth of about one foot, the visibility is basically zero. There is nothing but blackness after this point. Any searching had to be done by touch. Divers searched the more probable areas along the shore, but Mouse River is basically a big lake and it would be impossible to search everywhere. The extensive searches turned up no sign of Rochelle, but what police did find supported their theory that Rochelle was no longer alive. Police found a large red cooler her family had owned. Inside the cooler was ammonia, rags, and a substantial amount of Rochelle's blood. This indicated she had at least suffered a serious injury, although there was enough blood to result in death. And Stephanie would tell the police she had not seen this cooler since Rochelle went missing. December 2007. The Bureau of Criminal Investigation, or BCI, they got involved. They organised a task force to re-go through all the evidence, statements and re-interview people. Rochelle's story was featured on America's Most Wanted, Without a Trace and the morning show TV programs. In the 18 months since Rochelle's disappearance, and like with any disappearance that starts to receive national coverage, psychics started contacting police with their visions. One psychic contacted the police after having a dream that a little girl was put into a drain on their farmstead. The farm in question was located northeast of Minot in McHenry County. Captain Todd Keller told the media, quote, We did go up and check that. It's an old well. It had a pipe sticking out of the ground, but we didn't see anything suspicious, unquote. Law enforcement used flashlights and gave the area a thorough inspection before determining nothing suspicious was there. Another lead took police to the Trestle Valley area. This turned up empty as well. An individual walking on his property saw an area that looked like it had disturbed ground. Police went out there and dug up the area, but it did not reveal anything suspicious. May 15, 2008, Lexington, Kentucky. According to what news reports I can still find from that time, police received a tip from a school teacher who had a new student. Through DNA testing and picture comparison, police were able to determine this girl was not Rochelle. Just another devastating blow for a grieving family. The two theories out there is that either Cohen killed Rochelle or sold her to someone Cohen knew. As at the last update, according to the Charlie Project, 
Authorities believe there is no other option but Cohen being the person responsible for Rochelle's death. That the blood in the cooler, Cohen's suicide, and the events leading up to Rochelle's disappearance, this is all compelling and overwhelming evidence of Cohen murdering Rochelle. That there is no other logical explanation for her disappearance that is plausible at this point. Look, I'm hoping for the other scenario, that she was given to another family member by Cohen. I'm hoping that they adored her and took good care of her, and she went on to live a happy childhood and is now a well-functioning and well-balanced young adult. Sadly, the more realistic side of me cannot disagree with the police's thought process that he more likely sexually assaulted Rochelle, disposed of her, and then killed himself most likely out of the sheer guilt for the betrayal of this child that loved him and that he loved. Rochelle's biological mother, Samantha, is now living in Arizona with her new husband and family. Both Samantha and Cohen's mother are still in regular contact with police. Sergeant Jason Sudbacher was quoted as saying in the last media interview I could find in May 2008, quote, It's frustrating because you see her. I know if she was my little girl, I wouldn't give up until I either found her or knew where she was. As a detective, your job is to find the answers and to solve things. And there's just so many questions and not enough answers, unquote. Why 15 years later? Um, And I think that goes back to the human aspect of all of us. And that's much like the parents, much like the family. We held on to some hope that there was some chance that this would end differently. But upon review and the overwhelming evidence shows that that's not the case, It's time for closure for the family, for the community, for the department, so we can focus our energy on other cases that are open that we can hope to resolve in some way. At the time of her disappearance, Rochelle Smith was three years old. She was three foot one and 40 pounds, so tiny, with long, straight, light brown hair and brown eyes. Law enforcement have said that sightings have proven difficult because Rochelle looked like any other three-year-old girl. She had no distinguishing features. Rochelle has asthma and may be in need of medical attention. If Rochelle is still alive today, she would be 19 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Rochelle Smith, please contact the Minot Police Department on... 701-852-0111. If you have your own thoughts on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss any episode, and join the discussion group to share your ideas and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, and on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please share on your social media of choice and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app.
This week's episode was researched, written, hosted and producted by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. <laughs>